Welcome back, everyone, to the LSEG Sustainable Growth Podcast. I'm Jane Goodland, your host. We've got some very exciting speakers coming up this year for you. And to kick us off, we're going to be talking very shortly to Helena Fung, who heads up sustainable investment for LSEG in the Asia-Pacific region. And we're going to hear about some of the regional differences when it comes to sustainable finance and also the recent partnership with Ping An, which is China's largest insurance company. And we've come up with some really new and exciting ESG China indices. So we're going to hear all about those. So let's get stuck in. Hello, Helena. Really lovely to see you. I've been looking forward to chatting to you for ages. So welcome to the Sustainable Growth Podcast Let's start by uh, finding a bit more about you. Can you just tell us about your role? And I think you're you're based in Hong Kong, right? So tell us about your role and, and what's it like over in Hong Kong today? Thank you. Well, Jane, firstly, it's, it's lovely to see you. Good to be here. And thank you for inviting me to join you on the podcast. So I am, as you said, based in Hong Kong. I've actually been here for quite a long time, but but with FTSE Russell for three years in Asia and, and in Hong Kong. It's actually pretty cold today. Uh, this is what we would think of as winter. So it's about 14 degrees which in, in Hong Kong terms... It sounds delightful to me, <laughs> frankly, right now. <laughs> yeah, but we're all coming back after Chinese New Year and uh, and getting back into the swing of things. Good, excellent. So tell us about what you do for FTSE Russell and, and LSEG um, over there. Sure. So I, as I said, I joined FTSE uh, three years ago as head of sustainable investment for the business for, for the Asia Pacific region. And in that time, I have had the privilege of, of leading... I guess the strategy and building a strategy for the region, executing on it, hiring a great team. So we have a head of sustainable investment um, in Sydney, which is a really important region or the, the Pacific region is very important from a sustainability perspective. So there's lots of, of very interesting things to be done there. Tokyo, also we have a head of sustainable investment. And again, Japan is another very forward uh, looking region, a part of the region uh, for sustainability. And I think the important thing to remember about Asia Pacific is is that it's very fragmented in terms of uh, its approach to sustainability. It's fragmented from a regulatory and investment perspective as well. We've got a, a whole swathe of emerging markets, more developed markets like Singapore, Hong Kong, and Japan. So really, you know, t- thinking through the regional strategy, understanding what sustainability means to the different actors in the markets. You must have a super interesting job and it's fascinating, right? And I think. Like you say, I think we're too quick to kind of bunch APAC countries into one group. And, uh, you know, like you said, it, it's it's actually quite fragmented and very different. Can you draw out some of those differences for us so that we can get a flavour of what the main differences are, maybe within APAC, but also in contrast to other, other kind of economies around the world? Sure. Well, I mean, I think if you think about the spread of countries within APAC, and I've just mentioned a couple of them, in particular, the more developed markets, but then think about China, for example. I mean, China's the world's second largest economy. At the same time, uh, it's also the largest emitter of carbon emissions, and yet still an emerging market, right? So if you think about the difference between a market like China and then thinking about Singapore and then the markets within ASEAN, which again have their own very specific culture, way of doing business, economic concerns, regulatory and financial frameworks. So if you draw all of that together, you really have to take a market by market approach when you're working with the participants and the investors and the policymakers to talk about and to help to promote and, and, and raise the visibility of sustainability on the agenda, but also to provide the tools, the instruments 
and the solutions that clients need to be able to implement sustainability effectively across portfolios. And you mentioned that we've got a presence in Australia and Going back several jobs ago, actually, I um, I worked for an investment consulting firm and worked a lot with some Australian institutional investors. And I certainly found those organisations to be actually really forward thinking in terms of sustainability. I guess maybe it's because it's an economy which is characterised by a lot of heavy industry and resource intensive. So I guess it really depends, doesn't it? Like country by country, what the economy is focused on, it really shapes how sustainable investing is is framed in that particular country. So yeah, definitely different. In terms of, I guess, what we're seeing from those asset owners, and by that I mean kind of the big institutional investors, have we done any work to kind of understand those nuances country by country or, or Asia versus the rest of the world. I know that we do do kind of like surveys occasionally, don't we? Well, we do. And we published uh, towards the end of last year an updated asset owners survey, which is something that, that FTSE Russell has done for quite a number of years, which provides some really interesting insights into the development of, of thinking on sustainability and, and to what's most important to the asset owners within each market. And as you'll know very well, Jane, the asset owners are really important from an investment standpoint in terms of setting the tone and the expectations and driving forward sustainability in a market. And that then tends to filter down to the rest of the market participants through the asset managers to investors and so on. So in that sense, it's very interesting for us as a firm to be able to observe some of the changes and the shifts in the landscape around how um, asset owners in particular are approaching uh, sustainability. And the survey itself, I think, was very interesting this year because we had an increased number of participants from, from APAC. And I think one thing you have to bear in mind about APAC as we've said, the markets are very different. And you mentioned Australia, which has a large number of obviously the super funds. But within the rest of Asia, you find some fairly large pots of institutional money, but not to the same level that you might do, say, for example, in the Netherlands or in other, in other places in Europe, where there are a lot of very established pension funds. So again, you get that differential between those asset owners and institutions that are relatively new to approaching sustainability, and then the funds that are maybe further down that road and that journey. But it was really interesting last year in particular to observe some of the outcomes from that survey in terms of what is driving sustainability, how that's different from Europe. So for example, um, and I'll call out a couple of aspects from that when we saw um, you know, what was driving forward sustainability from the APAC asset owner perspective, I think we saw in particular that the opportunity side uh, was very important within the Asia-Pacific market and the asset owners in terms of understanding where they could put their money that was going to give them greater exposure to um, some of the upcoming investment opportunities, I think particularly on the green and the environmental side that would give them exposure. Does that contrast with other asset owners in other markets who might be more focused on risk management? Exactly. Yeah. So, so and, and interestingly, I think that chimes very well with what we've seen in terms of allocations. The importance of kind of the channeling finance to some of those newer solutions that are going to help to really drive forward transition. And transition is a very important theme in itself. Uh, in APAC because of the need of these markets to uh, to transition and from, from what is, you know, in many cases or can be quite a carbon intensive economy. So, so it's very interesting to see that piece, I guess, coming forward more perhaps than the risk management. And then also the reputational risk side uh, in the survey was less of a concern for APAC-based asset owners. So I think these things are also significant. Something else I call out in terms of thematic focus and interest. I think we saw a shift 
in the last survey towards climate as a main driver from a sort of thematic standpoint, which I guess plays into that piece about the opportunity set in sustainable investing. So really the environment kind of coming forward and maybe that retrenching a little bit in some of the more developed areas and maybe the social themes coming through. Now, again, I don't think that means that asset owners elsewhere are less interested. I think it maybe is an indication that some of those themes are quite well developed in terms of how they're implemented in asset owner portfolios um, in other markets where maybe there's a longer track record of implementing sustainability policies, whereas this is something that's really now front of mind for Asia-based asset owners, which is tremendously encouraging for us to see. Great. I mean, that, that's it's so fascinating. And I think one of the one of the things that we talk a lot about and we try to advocate for is greater transparency and disclosure as a real helpful underpin to be able to invest more sustainably. So investors really start getting access to the data and the information to help inform decision making or indeed kind of engagement between investors and the companies where they're putting the money. So I think that we're all continually looking at the state of disclosure and and disclosure, I think, has come a long way in terms of if you just think about disclosure of scope one and two emissions, for example, in some more developed economies. But let's just talk about what happens in some of the more emerging markets and in the Asia-Pac area on disclosure. Are we seeing what we need or is there still big gaps? I think the honest answer to that, Jane, is we're seeing an increasing focus, particularly from policymakers, stock exchanges and regulators on the the importance of disclosure and on putting frameworks in place that will incentivize and encourage that. We're seeing a lot of sort of standardized questionnaires or, or sets of questions that regulators and stock exchanges are starting to mandate. So I think from, from that perspective, there's a great focus. The reality is there's a big difference between some of the developed and emerging markets and between those markets where sustainability is more developed um, and, and those that aren't. And the other thing I would say is the standardization of data and the recognition of a need for comparable and consistent data. Yeah, so, so important, isn't it? Yeah. Because I guess from an investor's perspective, running perhaps a global portfolio, actually it becomes really tricky if you've got kind of good data in some areas and then an absence of data elsewhere to actually manage a portfolio on on consistent data. So I can see how that's an issue. One thing that I think is super interesting that I'd love to talk to you about is the partnership that FTSE Russell entered into and announced uh, just in December 2022. And that's the partnership with Ping An. Super fascinating. And I'd love to hear more about how the partnership evolved. But before we get into that, perhaps you can just share the top lines around what the partnership is and what it's kind of resulted in. Yeah, thanks, Jane. I'd be delighted to. Um, well, the partnership is essentially work we're doing with, with Ping An. Now they have, and to your point around sort of missing data and the absence of data in, in some markets, Ping An have come up with an ESG uh, score for all Chinese A-share companies. There are about 4,000 companies in the market that takes into account the specific circumstances of what ESG looks like and means in China to Chinese companies, bearing in mind that it is a very individual economy and has its own concerns and frameworks. So basically what we've done is, is partner with Ping An to use that score and rating within our a, a set of China ESG 
indices. So that's that's the top line of that partnership is really taking the score that they've developed specifically for Chinese companies and then using it in, in FTSE Russell's uh, market-leading China index uh, series. So it's a very exciting partnership for us and I think really very novel in, in that sense of bringing together our international index building capabilities and Ping'an's domestic ESG China insights. And, and for those who aren't familiar, who is Ping'an? What is it? Thank you. Another great question because Ping'an is extremely well known in Asia. It is one of the largest insurance companies in the world. It's an enormous financial conglomerate, an asset owner on the insurance side in its own right with very significant assets under management. But it also has a number of different financial arms, uh, including a technology arm that, that we are partnering with. Uh, in terms of uh, using the rating that Ping'an Technology have created for use within the insurance uh, asset owner uh, side as well. Okay, so a big play and a, an important one to to work with. So how did it come about? You know, is it kind of like my people speak to your people? Or, you know, how do these partnerships come about? Because they sound like a massive organisation to navigate, and and I can imagine it's not necessarily an easy thing to broker. So so. When did it start and how did it come about? It, it started in at the end of 2020. And as you saw, as you mentioned, we launched the indexes last year. So, so yes, it is no small undertaking to uh, develop these partnerships. It came about really because I was very aware, and I mentioned the regional strategy, that uh, there were some very interesting capabilities developing in China, looking at, at Chinese companies and their ESG performance in, in that very kind of specific way that isn't always captured by international uh, methodologies. And, and really, you know, it was uh, it was about making the initial contact, uh, somebody reaching out to somebody within Ping'an. And I was delighted when they came back and said, yes, we'd be happy to talk to you. So that was that was really how it um, how it started. And then it was a very long and fruitful discussion from, from that point. But we found that we have a lot in common with, with Ping'an in terms of the approach to ESG and sustainability. I mean, they're really trying to drive this forward in the market because they're obviously a big asset owner in China. And as you know, Jane, FTSE, Russell in particular, has always been a very strong advocate of driving forward ESG in markets, partnering with groups like the PRI, which is really what Ping'an are also doing in China. So there is that very synergistic uh, approach between the two groups and what we're trying to achieve. And like you say, FTSE, Russell's been at this for a long time. You know, I think it's like, what was it? Something like over twenty years ago, the uh, the first FTSE for Good index series was launched. And can I just ask a, a probably a bit of a, a cheeky question? But when you're partnering with a with a big Chinese uh, organisation like this, which language do you use, or or do you have to use translators? Now you're going to tell me that you're, you're fluent, right? <laughs> well, I don't speak Mandarin, but fortunately, the people that we that we deal with in Ping'an uh, all speak very good English, so it's uh, it's been fun. okay. <laughs> so lucky for you. And so, um, I, I guess it's it's quite a new launch, so it's early days. But what's the reception been like so far? Have you got interest in the index, or yeah, it's created a lot of interest, and it's had a very warm reception and some very positive feedback. And I think, in particular, from that sort of top line of uh, you know, I guess the international partnership with a domestic Chinese uh, player, and that willingness to understand and to interpret uh, ESG through a local lens as well. So from that perspective, after the launch, we had some really very warm feedback. We've had some interest from investors as well, but it is very early days. We have only just launched the index series and we do plan to do a lot more with it. So what we what we did was launch an initial two indexes and then there are further 
index launches to come. And the subsequent ones, are they variation in terms of market cap that's included in the index or, or how do they differ from the initial ones? Well, we built these initial two indexes using the FTSE China A3 indexes, which are the onshore indexes for Chinese uh, clients. So these are for use on the mainland. The intention is then to build also offshore equivalents as well for use by international investors, and then also to look at at other asset classes like fixed income, for example, over time. But it's a long-term partnership. So, you know, we have time to do that, which is which is great. That kind of answered one of my other questions was about who the primary client base might be for these indices. And actually, you talked about the fact that the onshore versus offshore. But I should imagine that this is going to be of interest to international investors wanting to get access to Chinese companies, but with an ESG lens, right? I mean, I'm, right. I am I can't imagine that there wouldn't be interest for this kind of product. Well, that's exactly right. And that was also our thinking, Jane. I mean, if you think how important China is from the perspective of supply chain, from the perspective of, you know, as an investment opportunity, certainly investors are, are interested and, and keen, I think, to get exposure to China. And then with the, we've talked about data and the fact that data isn't always forthcoming. You can't necessarily assess Chinese companies in the way that you would assess companies, perhaps in other jurisdictions, where there is more data, where the legal frameworks are different, where the drivers, the incentives for implementing sustainability may not be entirely kind of compatible or consistent with with what happens in China, where everything is is often very much policy-driven and led and opening up those specific opportunities through these ratings, which also look at what we would think of as kind of like a, a green economy or a green revenue type perspective, I would think would be of interest to any investor that wants to have exposure to China. Because as we know, sustainability is becoming not only mainstream, but it's becoming really critical as a, a lens to, to risk and to opportunity. So, I mean, I, I do feel these will be universally uh, relevant and hopefully um, also to an international investor as well. Yeah. And earlier, you mentioned that under the partnership, Ping An provides the ESG scores. So I was just thinking that in this particular partnership, companies, Chinese companies, perhaps maybe then stimulated to start understanding why they are or are not included in the particular indices from an ESG perspective. So I guess it might try kind of drive greater interest at the company level about transparency and ESG performance, et cetera, so, which is a good thing, right? But presumably the companies would be connecting with Ping An to ask those questions and not FTSE Russell in this in this particular situation. Well, that's an interesting point. I mean, Ping An, I think, have a, a process of engagement, as do we actually at FTSE, as, as you know, over the, the ratings of companies. So we do, as exactly as you say, seek to educate and, and to inform with, with the ratings and to, to provide that kind of bridge between investor expectations and, and what companies are doing on the ground. So yes, I mean, that's that's certainly an interesting scenario. I think we'll have to see how that, that how that goes over time. But you're absolutely right that benchmarks like these have been very important incentives for companies to want to change their sustainability performance and, and, and what they're doing on that in that sphere. And we've seen that very clearly in other markets as well. And yes, we would like to think that that's going to be a you know an eventual outcome uh, from this as well, is that it gives companies that level of incentive to be able to have eligibility to the index. So yeah. And a final question, if you don't mind, because I think it is kind of an obvious one that China sometimes it's a bit of a conundrum, you know, on a sustainability front, because in some respects, it's providing great solutions to some sustainability challenges. But on the other hand, there still are concerns with some of the practices that are ongoing in China. And I suppose 
just a thought from you about how do you think about this? Why is it so important that we don't just disengage? It's more a case of why is it so important for us to be working in China with Chinese players? Yeah, well, I think it's it's incredibly important that we do retain that level of connectivity and dialogue. And look, I mean, we've seen that even on an international, let's say, policy making level, we've seen China and, and and the US and other economies and jurisdictions work together on some of the really important issues. Climate is is an obvious one where the US and and China have led the G20 uh, working group. So it's definitely something where different. Investors, policymakers in in different regions are able to come to the table and discuss some of these very significant issues, and it's important to do so in a way that's that's constructive and and you know takes into account the different circumstances, cultures, I, I guess pressures and requirements of the different economies that people operate in. So from that perspective, I think you know, and that's really I guess what this uh, index series aims to do is to make sure that. There is that level of of connectivity. As I mentioned, I mean, China is such an important economy. It is part of global supply chains. So, you know, if you think about the scope three emissions that that come from China, it's very hard to separate, I think, on a regional basis, the performance of of companies and uh, to think only about one, one region or jurisdiction at a time because there's so much interlinkage between global supply chains, between the way that business is done. And the issues that we seek to solve in sustainability are not, you know, they're not necessarily specific to one one country. I mean, carbon emissions are global. China has a significant portion of those, but it's a global problem. And I think we solve those really by working together in this kind of constructive manner. So hopefully, you know, it's a big ambition, but hopefully we can play our small role uh, in that. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, Sustainability issues are global. We co-own them. We have to come up with the solutions together. And collaboration is is fundamental to actually getting this right. And the time is now. So thank you so much. It's been fascinating talking to you. And I just think you've got the coolest job ever. I absolutely do. <laughs> if I'm in Hong Kong, I'm going to look you up and hopefully we can uh, have, a, have a coffee and I can pick your brains more because fascinating. I could talk all day to you. Helena, thank you so much. See you again soon. And thanks for your time. Thank you, Jane. So that's it for this week's episode of the LSEG Sustainable Growth Podcast. That was a fascinating chat, I'm sure you'll agree. If you're not already following us, please do follow and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, comments, or someone actually that you'd like us to talk to, then do drop us a line at fmt at And we'll see you next time.